This is their new hoax. But, you know, we did something that's been pretty amazing. We're all feeling the impact of coronavirus. Today, Qantas stood down 20,000 people, and, of course, they're joining a long list. If I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Welcome to Nursing Review's new podcast. Each episode, we'll look at a different aspect of the pandemic, tackling myths, talking research, and keeping you informed. Right, and then I see the disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost... My name is Connor Burke, and this is the Nursing Review Coronavirus Podcast. I've been really curious about infectious disease specialists, virologists and the like during this time of pandemic. There seems to be so many, uh, and they were unheard, many before this, and now they're absolutely crucial. They are the rock stars of science. I spoke to a relative recently who's a doctor who told me that all through med school and in general, they always said that this day would come. A pandemic was on the way. And I wonder, is this true in academic circles? I wonder how pandemics are taught at unis um, and how we will view them going forward. Joining me is Sinjaya Senanayaka, Associate Professor and Infectious Disease Specialist from ANU, and we're going to talk about how we are prepared for pandemics. Sinjaya, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, look, thank you for having me. So were you expecting this day? Yes, I was, but whether I was going to see it in my lifetime or not was an uncertainty. We've had a number of pandemics, usually influenza-related, through history, And uh, we've had, of course, the Black Plague that everyone's heard of that decimated Europe, uh, knocking off a third of the population. Mm. And if you look in the last 40 to 50 years, we've had about at least 40 new infections emerge, that many of which haven't reached the media, but which we've nevertheless, nevertheless known about. Many of them have come from the animal kingdom to infect humans, and we call those zoonoses. Mm-hmm. But uh, and, and knowing that, we certainly anticipated that at some stage there would be a pandemic. Many people thought it would be a flu pandemic. And in fact, in 2009, we did have a flu pandemic with, with, sli- with swine flu, which mm-hmm. was quite infectious, but not particularly deadly. So it wasn't what the 1918 Spanish flu was. And of course, in 2003, we did have a coronavirus that emerged and did spread around the world, SARS, but that only caused 8,000 cases. And after a few months of mayhem, it disappeared and we've never seen a single case again, which is Mm. really strange. Yeah. So is the surprise then not that it's happened, that just it's affected? And I think mostly I think the surprise is that it's affected the Western world the way it has, um, you know, crippling economies and so forth. Is that the surprise? Absolutely. Absolutely. The well, actually, the fact that economies have been crippled isn't that surprising if you think about it because of how globally connected we are. But I guess everyone was just focusing on the health consequences so much. The economy didn't uh, register to start off with, but obviously it's now an all-too-real phenomenon, particularly with this outbreak. Mm-hmm. So what kind of, as I said, I'm interested in how pandemics are taught at unis. What kind of course is, is there on pandemics or, you know, when they teach um, virology and infectious diseases? You know, what, what are the kind of things you touch on? 
Oh, now you're taking me back to <laughs> medical school. And in all honesty, I don't think we were ever taught about pandemics as such. We were taught about influenza as a virus. And I remember learning about how it can mutate in um, small ways, the antigenic drift, and then the big ways, the antigenic shift. And with the antigenic shift, the big, the big changes in mutations, that means no one's immune and we're up for a pandemic when that happens. But that was about all that I was ever taught about pandemics. Mm-hmm. And it was just uh, incorporated into one or two lines in microbiology during during medical school. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that, that interest for me arose through my interest in infectious diseases once I was a doctor. Yeah. So I, I guess I, that kind of the reason why I'm interested in that is because I wonder about the preparedness of nations around the world or globally, really, because, like I said, these... Uh, Academics such as yourself, who are very knowledgeable and have been so helpful in helping the public to understand what is going on, seem to have kind of said that, you know, we knew this was going to happen. So are we prepared? Because it seems to me maybe that we weren't prepared. Look, it is interesting when you say that. I think we, we have been preparing for flu pandemics. So most countries, cities health districts within within a city have had their own pandemic exercises. But I think, and I have asked myself this question because it's a very good one you asked, but I, I think what happened with this infection, it just hit so quickly. And while we were able at maybe a hospital or a district level to think about how we would manage an infection if it occurred, a pandemic-type infection, we probably never really thought about it at that sort of higher level, at the at the borders, at the, mm. the national, international level, and decisions about when do we shut all air travel down? When do we stop people moving in and out of the country? When do we stop imports and exports? Those questions we probably never really thought about. And, I, and you did mention that I have been on the media a little bit. And one thing I have been saying in the media is that the manual for the next pandemic is being written now. So those questions will hopefully be answered when the next pandemic arrives, Mm. how early we should uh, shut borders, etc. Because at the start of all this, if, you know, Australia or the UK or the US got one case and and the leader were to say, that's it, we're shutting everything down, people would have looked at that leader as uh, if they were uh, unhinged. Yeah, but, well, uh, I, I think um, New Zealand did that before they had a case um, at all. They stopped travel to China when originally it was still kind of, you know, stopped in that region. And, and they shut down all travel to China before a case even hit New Zealand. But they've now come out of it fantastically well in the grand scheme of um, that's all right. the nations. But, but even then, but even then, uh, Colin, that's uh, just, that's just a China. But if at mm-hmm. that early stage, the New Zealand Prime Minister said, that's it, we're shutting the whole country down, no one's going in or going out, yep. then that would have certainly raised a few eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, might, I should probably clarify when I say that I don't think we were prepared. I have to say I do think that the Australian government has performed particularly well in the actions they have taken since. However, I wonder, again, on the preparedness front, I mean, a few years back doing some reading, the CSIRO had to cut the number of infectious disease researchers at a laboratory and experts at the time said funding cuts will leave the nation exposed to a new and emerging infectious disease. Um, 
what do you think about things like that in in so far as preparedness? Right. So I don't I don't know too much about those those cuts that were made, but mm-hmm. certainly I think infectious diseases is an area of research and preparedness that requires more investment at the moment than less. Because as I, I mentioned before, in the last forty years or so, we've had over forty new infections emerge, and any one of them could have potentially turned into a pandemic strain of a uh, of a virus or or less likely a bacterium. On top of that, for the last five to 10 years, we've been trying to publicly deal with the issue of antimicrobial resistance, where the antibacteria are getting more and more resistant to antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And this is leading to a few hundred thousand deaths uh, every year. And by 2050, it has been estimated that 10 million people a year will be dying from antibiotic resistance at a cost of uh, about a trillion dollars, and that will be more deaths per year than from cancer. So I think uh, infectious diseases, and and look, I guess you could say I've got a vested interest to say Mm -hmm. this, but even objectively, I do think that uh, infectious diseases, microbiology is deserving of an investment in funding and resources. Mm -hmm. So looking at some of the positives, what do you think um, Australia has done well so far uh, and worldwide? What do you think that nations have done well to um, react to this pandemic? Well, I I think the reason that New Zealand and Australia and places like uh, Korea have done so well is because of a lot of testing. So being having that capacity to do lots of testing because that allows you to identify cases. And once you identify cases, if you've got strong public health infrastructure, so they can do the contact tracing around those cases and therefore isolate cases, quarantine contacts. So in case the contacts become uh, positive, they won't infect anyone else. Those are so important in mitigating the outbreak in our society. So that's been really important. And of course, Uh, With Australia, two-thirds of our cases came from overseas. So even though it obviously had impacts in other areas, shutting down the borders was very important in controlling uh, this part of the outbreak. Mm -hmm. And the measures we've put in in terms of social distancing, drumming that in, there wouldn't be a a man, woman or child in Australia who doesn't know what social distancing is now, and they'd all be very aware of the importance of hand hygiene, I think reinforcing those messages is important. The other thing which I think we have done very well, and perhaps other nations uh, haven't, is the generally united message that our government has given to the Australian public. And the National Cabinet, I think, has been a real highlight of this outbreak so far, to see the state and territory leaders sitting with the Prime Minister. And even though they're from, uh, diff- they come from different parties, there initially was no obvious partisan politics. The message was generally a united, uh, repeated message uh, from the National Cabinet, which gave it a lot of credibility. And I think the whole country listened. Of course, subsequently, there have been a few disagreements about when should school starts, et cetera, et cetera. But generally, the cohesiveness of the leadership of the National Cabinet, I think, has really been very helpful in getting people to 
be uh, compliant with uh, the measures that have been put in place. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that the, the the pandemic handbook is getting written right now as we speak. Um, so this, how does this affect the way we approach um, virus infectious disease in the future? I mean, if in years to come, um, you know, another SARS or a MERS, something that pops out and it hasn't hit us yet, um, will we be kind of seeing these sort of lockdown measures um, enforced quicker or will responses be quicker or do, how do you envision the future? Well, I, I think so. Let's let's uh, hope it doesn't happen. But say in five years time in another part uh, of Asia, for instance, there's a cluster of, of cases of an unidentified pneumonia. Hopefully by that stage, the the host country of that that pneumonia will think, oh gosh, we don't want another COVID-19. Let's tell the World Health Organization immediately what's going on. Mm-hmm. Let's get uh, let's get as many resources as we can to identify this, to control this. Then let's announce this to the world that there could be an issue, so all countries are on standby. And if this is a new infection, then yep, maybe it is time to close national borders around the world. So. I'm, and everyone will be accepting of it and all the consequences of it because we know what happened during COVID. Mm-hmm. And how do you think this will affect the way we teach infectious disease and, and pandemic in the future? Uh, well, I hope people will start teaching teaching it as, as, as a subject within uh, microbiology, that COVID-19. That, because one thing that happened with the 1918 flu is soon after it, in the few decades that followed, you look in the literature and there's not a huge amount about it. And I think it is because it was such a horrible time that people literally wanted to forget that it had ever happened Mm -hmm. and or or they wanted to just assume that it was part of the First World War and they didn't want to think about it as a, a separate, separate event. However, the issue with that is all the lessons that you learned from trying to control it uh, through, despite having to uh, look at all the tragedy that, that went with it, is lost. So I really think it is important that in medical school, in nursing school, that COVID-19 and, uh, is not forgotten. And particularly for people in public health, that there should be a course in pandemics based on COVID-19. Yeah. Well, I think for a lot of us, it will be um, hard to forget this anytime soon. Sanjaya, thank you so much for joining us on the Coronavirus Podcast. Oh, look, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.